Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to you now as we seek to open your word. We pray that you would open it to us and that you would give your spirit so that we would not only understand it, but that we would believe it and seek to live it. And we pray this for Christ's glory. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and that's on page 979 of the Pew Bible. We're now really into the heart of Paul's teaching about the armor of God. And what we have talked about is that this is not merely an add-on, sort of a tack-on at the end of a letter to the Ephesians, but rather it's in some ways the culmination. We have seen that Jesus in his triumph on the cross is victorious over the forces of darkness. And we have seen that what Jesus has done is now established his kingdom and the visible manifestation of his kingdom, which is the church of Jesus Christ in enemy occupied territory. So it is for that reason that Paul says, because you live in enemy occupied territory, advancing God's kingdom, you need to put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand in the evil day and I'm going to read here verses 16 and 17 only uh, for the sake of time but Paul writes in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God in 1919 a uh, young boy by the name of Anthony Distasio and his little sister Marie were walking along the north end of Boston and they were collecting firewood on that particular day. It seemed to be a very average day until they began to hear some rumbling and some sounds that sounded like gunshots. See, as they were walking right next to a large five-story tall tank, it began to rupture. And 2.3 million gallons of molasses began to spill out into the streets of Boston. It filled the streets. It filled uh, uh, basements up to the ceiling. It took them months to actually get rid of the molasses. And it, they were um, saying that for decades, for decades, the smell of molasses could be smelled on a hot summer day in Boston. Now, it would be a bit of a comical story if it were not for the fact that on that particular day, 21 people actually lost their lives, including little Maria, who was walking next to the tank, who was swept away from her brother and suffocated by the molasses. And in a way, that is a picture of the way in which Christians sometimes approach life. We're going about life not recognizing the dangers that are about us. And we go about our normal day and before long all of a sudden something happens and maybe we feel as though we're being swept away by a tidal wave of attacks from the enemy. Now what we have seen thus far is that God commands us to be strong in the Lord, to put on the whole armor of God, not merely parts of it, not weapons from the world, but the whole armor of God. We have seen that this armament is the same armament that Jesus wore in His earthly ministry when He defeated the forces of darkness and reigned over them. And we've looked at a few of these pieces of armor and we're going to look at the last three today. The first is this. The shield of faith. 
Paul says, in all circumstances, or maybe better translated, in addition to, take up the shield of faith. Now, if Paul is chained to a Roman guard at this particular point, he may have in mind the Roman shield, which was about the size of a small door. It was four feet tall, two and a half feet wide, made out of wood, covered with both canvas and thick leather, and bound by iron. And the whole point was to be able to have something to crouch behind when the flaming darts of the enemy come, when these arrows begin to be launched and hurled in your direction. And what these soldiers would do is stand side by side, place their soldiers on the, uh, their uh, shields on the ground, and bound, being bound together, they would form a wall against the enemy. And in fact, this is the picture I think Paul is envisioning because what he is saying here is talking about the church corporately. In fact, the, the you here in verse 11 that you may be able to stand is actually in the plural. That we together as the church of Jesus Christ take up the shield of faith, place it in front of us, and together form an impenetrable wall through which the enemy cannot come. More about that in just a moment. The fiery darts. Well, you've probably seen this in movies, but basically arrows that are lit on fire and when they hit their target, they're meant to explode a bit and maybe catch everything else in their path on fire. And this is what the enemy does. He launches his fiery darts against us. Think of some examples of the way in which our enemy, Satan, does this. He tempts us in certain ways. Maybe for some of us, we're the kind of people who get out of bed in the morning and the first thoughts that come into our minds are actually negative thoughts. Negative thoughts about ourselves, negative thoughts about other people around us, and negative thoughts about God. And these are like fiery darts that the enemy is launching against us tempting us to believe things that are not true. Sometimes we may even dream up scenarios in our mind, constantly worrying, constantly fidgeting, thinking of ourselves as the victim, thinking about all the bad things that could possibly take place in life and not trusting in the good providence of God. At other times, maybe He distracts us we want to be faithful Christians. We want to have a devotional life. We want to spend time growing to actually know God better and be in His Word and intimately pray with Him. Before long, we find ourselves distracted. There are urgent things that creep into our minds. Things that must be done. And before long, we're no longer studying our Bible and praying to Him. And maybe it's been a day or two days, a week, two weeks, before we've actually sat down and spent time with the Lord personally. These are fiery darts from the enemy. Or maybe it's other things. We're tempted to think that people don't respect me. And they won't respect me if I reveal my faith to them. If they actually know that I'm a Christian, maybe they won't think well of me. You see, that's another attack from the enemy to keep you from actually speaking about the Lord Jesus to other people. Sometimes it's criticisms brought against us by others. Sometimes it's our own perfectionistic mentality that the enemy uses. You need to work a little harder. You keep working and it'll be perfect. Or he uses our failures against us. 
or maybe even difficult providences, illness that comes along, and we wonder, why is this happening to me again? Financial struggles that seem to leave us in the ditch, opposition to our efforts to actually serve God. And maybe before long, there's so many negative providences, it seems like, that are coming our way that before long we lose hope. And what we actually find ourselves doing is rather than wrestling against the enemy, we're wrestling against the providences of God. And these are the fiery darts of the enemy. And the list could go on and on. It's one thing to have one fiery dart launched against you, isn't it? Maybe even two. And maybe at that point we begin to scheme and plan, how am I going to get myself out of this situation? Right? And we're putting on our own armor. And then all of a sudden the enemy launches an attack from over there and from over there. And before long there's so many darts coming at me. I don't know what to do. And what I have to do at that moment is take up the shield of faith and begin to believe all the promises that God gives to me so that I don't fall into the pit of despair. Paul says take up the shield of faith. Faith in God. Faith in His good character. That He is a just God. That He is a merciful God. That He's a gracious God. That He's a loving God. That He wants to do good. Faith in His promises. That everything that He says He will do to protect me, He will do. Because He is a good and faithful God. Just as the, the leather and canvas coating upon this literal shield is designed so that when the fiery darts pierce into it, it extinguishes those fiery darts. The shield of faith does the same thing. The promises of God do the same thing when the enemy seeks to attack us. And so we're to take up the shield of faith and hide behind it. Sometimes, sometimes we have very little energy left in life. And we feel like we don't have energy for the battle. And at that moment, what we are called upon to do is simply believe. Simply believe what God tells us in His Word. And that is all the strength that we need. When we're in that moment where we're anxious about the future, what is the future going to hold for me? Maybe it's the fact that we need to call to mind what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 when we wonder, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? And he says, the Gentiles worry about all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's His promise. He will care for our basic needs. Friends, faith is not easy. Faith is not simply a feeling. Faith sometimes is exercised even when we feel to the contrary. Even when we're actually worn out and exhausted, we still put our faith and confidence in Jesus. I would encourage you to read through the chap, uh, 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews this afternoon and look at all these people who trusted by faith and walked by faith. And you see all the things that they had to overcome, many of which were killed for the faith. Some were even spoken of as being sawn in two. And yet there's this one line that says they were made strong out of weakness. Why? Simply because they trusted in the promises of God. Not because they trusted 
in themselves. Sometimes we have to force ourselves to believe against a, a tidal wave of lies, against conflicting emotions even. And when we believe the truth, God is able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Well, he tells us to take up the shield of faith, but secondly, he also tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. You know what a helmet is, and you know what it's designed for. The Roman helmet was most likely made out of bronze or of iron, placed upon the head in order to protect a soldier from a mortal blow. So that if you were to receive a blow in the head, you might be knocked unconscious, but hopefully you would not die. That's the whole purpose of the helmet. And here we're told that it's the helmet of salvation. Now salvation is looked at from different perspectives in the Bible. It's looked at from the, from the past, perspective of the past. What Christ has done on the cross for us. That He has paid for our sins. That He has secured our justification. That's the fact that we are declared righteous by God through Jesus. He has secured the fact that His people will be adopted into His family. That we will be sanctified, made holy. And that one day we will be perfected in Jesus. But you see, salvation is also looked at from the perspective of the present. Our present enjoyment of all the benefits that Jesus has for us. Not only has Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, but actually He grants to me a sense of assurance so that I feel that my guilt and my shame have been taken away. He gives me assurance now because He gives me His spirits by which I cry, Father, so that I have the spirit of adoption within me. And He gives me the experience of being changed inwardly so that I'm being transformed more and more from one degree of glory to the other, as the Apostle Paul says. But he also, the Bible also looks at salvation from the perspective of the future of what will happen. And that one day I will stand in glory and see my Redeemer face to face. And that I will know the joy of His salvation. And I will be welcomed into eternal bliss. And all things will be made new and every tear will be wiped away from my eyes. And I will know nothing but the peace and the joy and the love and the beauty of being with God in paradise. And in a way, that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of here in this helmet of salvation. Elsewhere, he tells the Thessalonian church to put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet which is the hope of salvation. We have an eternal hope that's to come. We don't experience everything now, but we hope for what is to come. This is not all that there is. This is not all that there is. And... We need to realize this for two particular reasons because this is what the enemy wants to tell us. One, he wants to tell us that the coming glory is not worth the present sufferings. The coming glory is not worth living for Jesus now and suffering for Christ's sake now. That what's ahead of you is not worth waiting for. That's the lie that the enemy wants to tell us. And if we believe the lie, then we will not stand and fight 
but rather we will seek to live for ourselves in this world. And so what Paul says here is take up the helmet of salvation because this isn't all that there is. There is hope for glory. And when you begin to believe that, you say, because this isn't all there is, I'm living for a whole other world. And I'm going to live for Jesus now and fight with all that I have against the enemy. But not only does he want to convince us that the coming glory is not worth the present sufferings, he also wants to convince us that we miss the glories of salvation in this life. That they're not worth partaking of. And what Christ wants to convince you of is yes, you have the present glories of salvation. Because the enemy wants to disarm you and try to take that joy away from you. And the way in which we take up the helmet of salvation is back actually by rejoicing in Jesus. Look at what He has given to us. And it's mine. And it's yours. And when we rejoice in it, we're able to put to death all the attacks of the enemy. And so He says, take up the shield of faith Take up the helmet of salvation and finally take up the sword of the Spirit. Now here Paul identifies the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit because the Word comes from the Spirit, right? We're told by Peter in 2 Peter 1.21, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's Word is powerful God's word is powerful to condemn the enemy God's word is powerful to spiritually raise those who are dead in sin so that we believe in Jesus as the spirit is working it is powerful to encourage us and to lift us up and it is powerful because God keeps his promises to the end and we need to trust in it when The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit also provided Jesus with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, so that He might be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And we need to live by faith in the Word to trust its power. So often we do not trust its power, and so we don't engage in battle with the truth of the Scriptures in our minds, fixed and firm. Because you see, the enemy is like in the parable of the sower. He comes along and what does he want to do? He wants to snatch the word out of our hearts so that we don't trust it and we don't use it. And we set it aside. You may have heard the famous illustration by Cornelius Van Til who wrote about Christian apologetics often. And the illustration that he used in dealing with the enemy was that you can imagine two people in a fight. One brings a gun and one brings a knife. And the person with the knife says to the man with the gun, I'm sorry, I don't believe in guns. And so the person with the gun says, okay, if you don't believe in guns, I'll set mine down. It's a foolish thing to do, right? Friends, the Word of God is powerful. It is the gun in the hand of the Christian to do battle. It is the sword of the Spirit Do not put it down. Take it up. Memorize the Word. 
Because you see, what the Spirit is able to do is not only provide us with a sword, but give us power and enable us to use it by giving us a delight in His Word, by causing us to memorize it, to be saturated with it, and to draw it to mind whenever we feel like we're under attack so that we can remember the Scriptures and engage the enemy, Satan himself, with God's Word. We need to know it. And we need to trust it. Yesterday, Samuel, my son, and I were hiking along the Appalachian Trail, about a 10-mile hike, and we were uh, a bit tired by the end of the hike, and I can remember thinking about someone whom some of you know and others may have read about in the newspapers this uh, past summer, Jennifer Farr Davis, who hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, all 2,100 miles of it, in a record pace of 46 days. Now that's 46.9 miles per day. In other words, she went about almost five times what we went. Now she talked about her experiences. The blisters, the fatigue, the shin splints, the bugs, the heat and the humidity, being isolated, at times wanting to give up, and her husband would meet her in places and encourage her to keep going, keep going. You see, it takes a lot of mental toughness as well as physical toughness to do something like that. And in a similar way, that's the picture of the Christian life. It takes a lot of mental and spiritual toughness to stand and fight against the enemy. Because what the enemy wants us to do, among many things else, is to become complacent in the Christian life. To not seek to know God better. To not find joy in Him. To not serve Him in costly ways. To not know His Word. To not trust His promises. Maybe to go to church on Sundays. Maybe to pray before a meal every once in a while. But that's the extent of it. But Jesus wants you to fight the good fight. He wants me to fight the good fight. And He says, take up My armor. Do everything that you can to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that in the end, one day you will see Him face to face and He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of My kingdom. What a blessed Savior we have. What a powerful enemy we have. What strong armor He gives to the Christian so that we can continue to press on for Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to You now and we do trust in all of Your promises. We pray that You would help us to know them. We pray that they would be fixed in our minds. We pray that we would believe them. That together as Your people, we would stand shoulder to shoulder taking up the shield of faith when some of us are doubting so that others can come along and encourage them to believe so that we would know the Scriptures well enough to attack even the enemy himself. Lord, may You help us to stand. To stand in the evil day. To persevere. And to know the joy of Your presence. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.